welcome to this edition of the Alabama Historical Association's podcast program. I'm your host, Marty Olaf, and I talk with people who conduct interesting research and do interesting things concerning Alabama history. You can find out more about the Alabama Historical Association, a membership organization devoted to Alabama history, by pointing your browser at our website, www.alabamahistory.net. Our guest today is Rebecca Mender, who is the digital media editor with Alabama Heritage Magazine. Thanks for joining us today, Rebecca. Thanks for having me, Marty. It's a pleasure. This is the 30th anniversary of Alabama Heritage. Tell us about it. We actually started in 1986, and we were founded here on the campuses of the University of Alabama. Our original founding editor was Suzanne Wolfe. And the magazine started as just a great idea to highlight the history of the state of Alabama. It's culminated from this small little black and white publication to the high gloss four color publication that we have today. Our circulation's grown exponentially since the past 30 years and it's just been amazing for this small journal that's a quarterly to become this great publication that's made a big impact in the state. You use the word journal, which usually indicates an academic journal, and the academic journal of record for Alabama history is Alabama Review. What is your relationship with Alabama Review? Alabama Review is much more of a scholarly publication. We use a lot of the same authors, but we also try to have more of a trade publication slant, so that way any population, not just academics, would be interested in the feature writing in our magazine. So we might cover some of the same topics with a mass media type writing, because we do have our magazine at bookstores across the state, so we do appear to a wider audience than more of a scholarly publication. And so your audience is really avocational historians who are interested in the story of history as opposed to academic historians who are interested in an analysis of these stories. And actually both, because we do have a lot of people who use our magazine as part of their research. So we do try to reach a wide audience, but all of the articles are fully vetted. Everything has to be fact-checked, and so it can be used as a resource for something that people are writing possibly for a dissertation or other research. Alabama Heritage is really a magazine layout as opposed to an academic journal layout. Is that correct? Correct. I believe when it was starting out in 1986, 30 years ago, you know, it was looking more as a quarterly journal. That's when it evolved into the magazine style. We used to only have features, a few extras like letters to the editor. It tried to evolve in the early years, but now we are full-fledged with four main features, six to eight departments on various topics. And we rotate through the departments. It could be something on archives that have been found throughout the state, or it could be something on genealogy, it could be natural history. We also have book reviews, but it is more of a standard magazine format with the four features, the multiple departments at the end. Heavily illustrated. 
oh yes, we've been using Robin McDonald as our designer from the very beginning. This is his baby, and he's done a great job designing the magazine, but we also use a lot of his photography. He's an award-winning photographer, and so we use a lot of his illustrations, but then we have a lot of illustrations that are submitted by each author, and we try to use as much as we can. It's just absolutely gorgeous, and we've won lots of awards, not just for the writing, but for the illustrations and the design as well. Alabama Heritage Magazine is subscription and individual number based. Right. What, what are the prices for this? Right. We have an annual rate. It's only $18.95. It has not gone up in probably 10 to 15 years. We have individual prices for the current issue if you go to our website to order it or Barnes & Noble across the state then it's only $6 for a cover issue. And that's about 72 pages of information, so it's pretty chock full. We had a lot of people buy back issues. We're trying to make a lot of that available in a digital format because you can only print so many magazines. And the issues that we started in 1986, 30 years ago, we might have five or six copies left, so they're no longer available in print. Instead of printing extra copies, we've just made digital versions of these so people can buy PDFs that are downloadable straight from our website. Y'all are heavily involved with Alabama 200 as well, the Bicentennial. Right? Yes, we have a lot of initiatives throughout the state. Everything from becoming Alabama through the Creek War, Civil War, Civil Rights. We have been working also with the Alabama Historical Commission and the Alabama Trust for Historic Preservation, publishing their places in peril in our magazine once a year. So we're trying to be involved in different statewide initiatives like that and we've recently been involved with the Alabama Bicentennial and so as part of the commission our editor Donna Cox Baker has been meeting statewide to help create programs that would be utilized over the next couple of years for the 200th anniversary of our state but we are also creating two special issues for the anniversary of our statehood the next couple of issues, instead of being a standard 72-page publication, they're going to be closer to 100 pages each. They're going to have special inserts with pullouts, with maps and timelines and a lot of other valuable information that we are working with other organizations throughout the state to try to culminate into one big publication. And so we're going to have an early one coming out in 2017, and then we'll have another coming out in 2019 with the actual anniversary of our statehood. What other initiatives do you have going on? Dr. Baker has been meeting with a lot of genealogy organizations across the state, and we have also partnered with OLLI, which is the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute here at the University of Alabama. We have taken our genealogy department and turned that into a course. We are teaching students through the OLLI Lifelong Program how to start doing genealogy, what resources to find, where to go, if you hit a roadblock, what to do about it, and those types of things. So we've been very involved throughout the state trying to get people more interested in their genealogy, especially as we are approaching this bicentennial and people are starting to think back as to whether their relatives were in the state when Alabama came into fruition. 
It's been really a lot of fun to work with people and to find out more about their history, which is also our history, and working with the University of Alabama's OLLI program to teach this genealogy class. The OLLI program is lifelong learning, but that really indicates that it's the retirees. And... Yes, but this class, we taught it this semester here at the University of Alabama, and it was taught at night. So it gave an opportunity for other people in the community to get involved because a lot of the lifelong classes, they might be taught during the day when most people could be working. You might have an older audience, but for this particular class, it was very well received and they had a huge group from a wide range of age groups as well as ethnicities. So it was a very popular class and something that we might be looking at doing again in the future. Is this a kind of a class that's scalable to other places? I would think so. I think, too, you know, because we have a couple of hours, one night a week, and it's multiple weeks over a semester, I believe a lot of those classes could be held elsewhere, or if we have a genealogical association that might need someone to come in to give suggestions, and we can create handouts and that kind of thing from that program to suit what they have. So I think it's something that could be evolved into a lot of different facets. But again, a lot of it came from the new department that we have and how we're introducing genealogy to our readership, giving them the opportunity to find out the different resources throughout the state and get it right. Because I think that's a key too, is a lot of people, when they're doing genealogy, they'll go to an online source like Ancestry.com, which is a great resource to create your family tree and then you might find, you know, Joe Black is doing the same family tree, but he may not necessarily have resources to back up what his claim is. Is that really your Aunt Sue? Well, he does have all of the backup material to go along with that. And I think that's the thing is, you know, just trying to educate the audiences as to finding the accurate information and how to do that and how to actually go to a library and look things up. It's a learning curve for a lot of people because some people just go online, sit there for five to six hours, and they kind of get lost and absorbed in it. But then you want them to also remember to try to make it as accurate as possible because their family tree that they're creating is a historical document. You know, we've been working a lot also with Find a Grave. Our staff has gone on several field trips where we will look for graves that are in need. So when you go to find a grave, they will have a section where they ask for a certain grave to be found, documented, photographed, and we'll do that. And so we've gone to several cemeteries in the area and have tried to document those by transcribing what's on the headstone as much as we can tell. We also photograph it. And so it's trying to get accurate information like that so we can put it on different websites like Find a Grave. So that way when people are trying to link their family trees, they can link it to accurate information. Everybody's been volunteering actually on their own time. We did a few field trips to get it started. And once you start, you know, it's, it's very addicting and you just want to keep going. And so a lot of people are doing it on their own free time just to get out there and, and see what they can do to help. Well, that indicates to me that Alabama Heritage staff takes their job as a resource very seriously. I think so. I think we are very proud of the work that we do. 
The staff is small. There are five professionals on staff, and then we have several students who work as interns. And I think one of the things that we pride ourselves in is not just having a publication that provides information that we believe is valuable to the state, but we also try to involve ourselves in these features. So we go on things like field trips and we actually get out of the office and visit these cemeteries or we'll get out of the office and drive to Eufaula or someplace like, you know, like the Jesse Owens Museum in North Alabama. And we try to learn more about what it is our magazine's writing about because we can put it on paper. We can hire an author to write something for us or we could write a department and print it and send it out. We all read it. That sounds great, but... It's that exposure, just as anybody else does. You learn more when you're actually there, seeing it for yourself and being exposed to it. So that way, we'll be more knowledgeable about it, as well as the person who actually researched the feature for us. Let me shift gears a little bit here. Donna Baker is the editor-in-chief of Alabama Heritage, but your title is Digital Media Editor, as we noted earlier. What does that include? Well, I joke in the office that I do anything that's not print. Besides Donna Baker, we have Susan Reynolds, who is our associate editor. And between the two of them, they manage the print publication. Everything that I do comes after the print. So I ensure that we have a website that is active and vital. It's part of our publication. We don't have everything from the magazine on our website, but we have enough that entices the readers to want to go and find that issue. I'm also in charge of original content for the website, so we have a blog post. We have some of these features that we talked about, the Places in Peril, Becoming Alabama, and genealogy departments. We're bringing those into the website as well, and we're trying to get it more active so that way it's not a stagnant website, so we keep things fresh with new content. Besides the website, I also handle a lot of our social media, so I'm in charge of the content for every channel that we have, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and a YouTube channel and a Pinterest page. So we try to reach as many different audiences in different ways by providing content that is similar to the magazine but it can reach these audiences based on what they're looking for because if you're going to Pinterest, you're not going to be going to print Pinterest for a 2,000-word article. You want to go to Pinterest to find some of the full-color photographs that we've published in the magazine. And then it will have a link back to the magazine in case you want to read more about it. But it's just depending on what the venue is. You know, Twitter is 140 characters or less, so you can only say so much, but you've got to grab your audience and tell them what's happening in your world that day or what's coming out in the next issue. So it's been a great way for us to reach new audiences. It's changed the dynamic of how we speak to these people because our print magazine readership is anywhere from age 50, 60, 70 years old, mainly male. And our social media is under the age of 50, mainly female. So it's just a huge difference as to what our readership is. And there's some crossover there 
But there's a lot of people who read our print magazine who do not follow us on social media. So you have to talk to these audiences in different ways, and that makes it exciting. But it can be also challenging. Rebecca, what does the future hold for digital media and Alabama Heritage? Well, Marty, we have a lot of ideas. We're always trying to find new ways to reach new audiences. That could be through blogging. We're trying to expand that aspect. We're also interested in podcasting because a lot of us actually listen to podcasts on our own time, and so that's another way that we can reach a new group of people. An online app is a great opportunity for us to move into the digital age as well. But I think one of the most important things that we are trying to strive toward is reaching the audiences that have either a hearing or a visual impairment. One of the things that has been requested of us is an audio version of the magazine, but as long as the audiences ask for it, we will always be a print magazine. We've always had very loyal, lifelong friends. We're published by the University of Alabama, by UAB, and the State Archives, but we've also had a very supportive friends group Back when we started in 1986 and we were a struggling publication, we went through a very rough patch where we thought we were going to be losing funding and there was people in the history community who, statewide who said, we can't let that happen. So they rallied around and created a friends group and started giving us support and with the other three main publishers, we've been able to succeed and grow and reach all of our goals. Well, I want to thank you for joining us today and wish you all the luck in the world. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And always visit us on our website at www.alabamaheritage.com. Thank you for joining us today. This has been another edition of the Alabama Historical Association podcast program. Our music is the traditional tune, Whistle By, performed at City Stages in 1996 by James Bryan and Carl Jones. It's provided courtesy of the Alabama Folklife Association, which you can find on the web at alabamafolklife.org.